everybody. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford. I write books about bikes. I write articles about all kinds of fitness stuff. And in the past couple of weeks, I've maybe been a little low on the fitness front, but in general, I do a lot of the fitnessy things. And I'm Peter Glassford. I am a kinesiologist and cycling coach, uh, often based in Collingwood, Ontario, but we travel all around. But I am happy to be back in Collingwood right now. It is gloomy, it is not snowy, it is sort of raining at the moment, but such is January, I guess. Yeah, well, we have the same in New Jersey, so you're not missing much. I, however, am missing Collingwood, but that's a story for another time. Um, Yeah, busy, busy weeks for us. I was just in L.A. near, actually, Oxnard, where we've stayed for the past few years, uh, with the rally cycling team for their team launch and presentation, so had a really good time meeting a bunch of the people on the team, interviewing them, getting to know some of them a little bit better. Uh, yeah, it was super cool. And I got to sneak in a few hikes and runs at some of my favorite places out there. So that was super exciting for me. Yeah, did you go to Peddler's Forks? I know you were staying close to it. Yeah, that was actually where the team presentation was, which is one of my favorite okay. places on earth. Highly recommend if anyone is in the Calabasas area, go to Peddler's Fork. You can... I don't know, rent bikes, drink coffee, eat cookies, eat amazing food. Pretty much everything you could ever want is all right there. Yeah, it's a really cool spot. Um, what else? What else is up? We have uh, on a good podcast lately. They've uh, People have been liking the Ian Warner one of late and cross-country skiing and stuff. So definitely if you haven't, if you miss some over the holidays, definitely and some good ones there that people have enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this week, I think... What about, what about on the outdoor edit? Has there been anything new on the outdoor edit? Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, well, there's one that's coming today that I'm pretty excited about, um, all about uh, the art of sort of organizing and cleaning your gear, which I think is a lot of people's resolution and kind of a good time is right now to do it. Um, Otherwise, a few new articles. I'm like trying to pull up some of them. Oh, yeah. I have a review of our favorite uh, swim run stealth shoes from Vivo Barefoot that I just put up. So if you've been intrigued at all about swim run or about barefoot shoes in general, I highly recommend checking the pair of shoes out. Read the review first if you're really interested. Uh, And then I did a, I, I don't know if I talked about this last week, but I lost my main luggage when I flew into Reno a couple weeks ago so I did a post on sort of what stuff you should always have in your little carry-on bag and number one was sneakers and number two was some type of shorts so you can always do a workout wherever you are because baggage being lost is not an excuse to skip a workout sadly yeah what about you any good articles lately yeah I don't put out quite the amount of content on smart athlete that you do but uh sometimes get excited about something and put an article together. Usually, you know, a client or a group of clients, usually it's usually sort of a a comment or a frequently asked question or something that I sort of go after or a problem people are having. So um, the one I've been sort of wanting to write the article for a while, um, and I'm sure I'll keep evolving this, but I just wrote one about sort of the quote unquote perfect workout where especially newer clients, um, get sort of this idea that they have to do 100% of, you know, the wattage or the workout or the pace or whatever for, you know, they want to always be setting personal bests. And I think that comes early because 
people are so used to like always getting better. You know, when you start running, like every run is better when you're cycling, like every test is better, but you know, there comes a time where, you know, there's just some crummier days. And if you're training hard, like there should be some days you're tired and stuff. And mm-hmm. so that's why zones exist. That's why we have a range. So the post sort of goes into that sort of idea of, you know, doing what you can and, you know, just moving things forward. And, you know, just the idea that we all want this hundred percent, but a lot of times, like when people quit, it's like, they're like 2% off of, you know, what they were supposed to do. So sure. anyhow, that's what the post is about. I think I did it fairly concisely. So. Well, I think that's actually that's a really, interest. that's a really good segue into today's guest. Uh, he's actually on for the second time, Jonathan Beverly. So he came on with us during the summer to talk about his book, Then Your Best Stride, all about our running strides. Uh, this one, though, is all about how to run sort of forever is kind of the idea. Uh, run strong, stay hungry is the uh, title of the book. And it's a really cool book. It's a really cool episode. And I think it ties into your article really well because partly like it's one of the things that keeps you in is this realization that not every single run is going to be perfect. And I mean, frankly, especially as we age our, you know, best mile, we might not ever hit that like four and a half minute mile that we could do when we were 21 or 22 ever again. But that doesn't mean that you're, you know, a bad runner, you should quit. Yeah, there's some really cool sort of tools and uh, a couple of new ideas I hadn't heard of. Uh, that he discusses and yeah it's you know something why do we do it why do we keep running and um, also what are the sort of you know what keeps people especially in running you know where the injuries sort of add up and you know everyone quits because their knees and their hips go you know what what are the you know qualities or the practices of those people who are able to run into like their 60s and 70s Um, you know it's quite interesting and it's that consistency like doing something every day versus quitting you know like you feel crummy you, know, you don't you don't end up doing your ride or your run or whatever so i think that's you're right it is a, a good sort of accompaniment to my post today this this podcast yeah there you go so give this a listen and then head over to smartathlete.ca to give that a read uh and if you want to take part in our seven day healthy kickstart set of emails uh, you can find out more about that at consummateathlete.com or on either of our sites theoutdooredit.com and smartathlete.ca so check that out if you're also looking for a little motivation to just be a little healthier all around not just in your workouts all right guys enjoy the episode with jonathan beverly consummate athlete podcast and we have jonathan beverly back with us for round two because he has book two out now so jonathan thanks for thanks for joining us today it's really a pleasure to be back thank you so your new book is Run Strong, Stay Hungry, Nine Keys to Staying in the Race. Um, but before we dive into that, why don't you give our listeners just a quick bio on you if they have missed the, the first episode or if they need a little bit of a refresher. And of course, we'll link to the other episode in the show notes. Okay. Well, I was uh, editor of Running Times from 2000 till 20. 20- January 2016, so a couple years ago, um, and then that magazine was was folded into Runner's World, and uh, and I became a freelancer and and kind of sent out a lot of queries right away to see to make sure I uh, had work, um, and ended up with two book contracts about the same month. So <laughs> spread them out, but I, but I was writing writing pretty much steadily for for almost a year uh, to get these out. So it's a good, good year, though. Uh, looking back now, it's, it's, it's like when you know training in the midst of it, you feel like I can't wait till this over, and you look back and say that was the best time of my life. So I sort of feel that way about about working hard upon them. 
Oh, I love that. I think you're completely right, having been involved in book projects as well. Um, so with this one, Run Strong, Stay Hungry, uh, at first I, when I started reading it, I admit I was kind of thinking, oh, this isn't going to be for me because I'm not, you know, 50 yet. I'm not kind of, I'm still sort of in my running prime, I guess. Um, but then as I read it, I, I started realizing that a lot of it I felt like was totally for me. So when you were writing it, did you plan on it being for an older generation or kind of open to interpretation? I felt from the beginning that I wanted it for any runner who wanted to, to get a perspective on how, how, to, how to run for life. Um, and so even though I, I interviewed people who are older because they, they had to be older to get to have uh, lived through generations of, yeah. of their running life, I wanted advice. Yeah, you know, sort of. What, what would you tell yourself at twenty? <laughs> you know, what, <laughs> what do you need? What what habits and mental uh, perspectives do you need to to adopt from the beginning in order to survive the, you know, the years of running? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it struck me. You know, there's in training. I deal with this with my coaching clients and, as well. That there's you know everyone wants to be that you know top level athlete and use all the high tech you know, gadgets and gizmos and training intervals and training camps and altitude camps and, you know, plyometrics and all this stuff. But, you know, the majority of us are are not getting paid millions to sacrifice our body and well-being and longevity. Um, And it's really more of a game of staying healthy and and doing it, you know, hopefully as long as we can because we presumably enjoy it. So to me, that's what this, this book was really, you know, for anyone who's not, you know, got that Nike contract. Right. And what was interesting, though, is that a lot of people were at that level, and and yet they still have this perspective. And I think that's a dichotomy that the ones who are sort of striving think that if I, you know, if I quantify it and push myself and discipline myself to all this, that I'll reach a new, uh, better level. I'm not sure that's the case. I think that this this is not only a way to stay in the race for life, but probably to race your best, too, if you can adopt this perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in in your writing and your research, was there one thing or a couple things that came as, I guess, big surprises to you? I mean, you've been a lifelong runner as well, so I'm sure a lot of it was like, oh, yep, I felt that too. But was, was anything really surprising? Just what Peter just touched on right here, I think, was how many of these runners, even at the very top level, said, I, I run by the seat of my pants is the way John and I say it. <laughs> you know, that, that I let I trust my body to do to, to tell me what to do. I think I think so many of us have this perspective that you know we don't trust our bodies that we have to push it. We've got to overcome it. We've got to you know it always has to be hard and disciplined. Um, no, that 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 the answer is is not that is but in knowing how to listen and to let go and and realize that what your your body is is going to find its top level. If, if you, know, you have to, of course, <laughs> have the commitment and the discipline to, to be looking for that top level. But but that that the uh, this training by feel idea um, was was fairly universal, and uh, and that came as a surprise. And uh, I'm still still figuring out how to apply it. You know, to balance the two sides of of you know, not not giving in to to lethargy and apathy, but listening and and not overdoing it because your body's not ready. 
Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And a good thing to mention, I think, at this time of year in particular, when everyone is sort of in the the go-hard New Year's resolution mode, I was just reading an article today where it's like, you know, 10 motivational quotes to get you, you know, into the gym or out on the run. And, you know, one of them was like, someone out there is training harder than you and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, boy, this again. (laughs) Right. Yeah, and... Yeah, it, it, it is interesting though because new runners feel like uh, that they you know they have to do that to get going. Um, mm-hmm. and, and maybe I'm kind of jumping ahead here a bit, but I, I was thinking about this on on the run today. The the, the first point is is commitment, uh, um, consistency, and mm-hmm. it seems to me that that that's the discipline part that you need sort of to, to have enough consistency. And as soon as you get consistent enough that you start to build the fitness of it. Then, then the joy kicks in because <laughs> it feels good to be fit, and then it's easier to be consistent. I mean, it's a circular thing. But, but instead, but people instead, I think, then they're like, I've got to push myself really hard, and then they end up inconsistent. And there's always, it's always full. They never, never get over to that point. Yeah, that was an interesting chapter in the book. Actually, I really enjoyed that section, and there was a few, you know, things that I found that were interesting. Um, you know, you found, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but like the minimum mileage when you say consistency was in around 25 miles per week in about five runs. And, and obviously people are building to this and maintaining it being the key. Um, but I, I, that, that's actually a relatively high volume, like for the average person, or at least for me, it seems high. Yeah, I it, it, it is for the average person, and which is, I think, one reason that the average person Again, that doesn't running is painful for the average person. Exactly, that running is difficult. Um, you know, the, the quote from Scott Douglas, I think that, that people think is they you know, they roll their eyes at, but he says it's easier to run fifty miles a week than it is to run twenty miles a week, and I think that's probably true. I mean, because the the consistency builds the the robustness and the and the habit and all of that. It's easy to do it, as opposed to how every run sort of starting over in some ways when you don't have that kind of volume. It's interesting. And there's like obviously with running, there'd be sort of the you know the soft tissue adapting, and there's a fitness component. But um, you know there there must be a mental and a routine, and you know a lot of these other factors. You know planning your day around it. You know you're fueling appropriately. Um, associated with that, like you know five and six days a week. You know that you're you're running. You know for at least maybe half an hour. Right, yeah, I think it's a it, bo- both of them come together, the, the mental and the physical. But there, there really is a physical component. Or maybe, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm not, maybe it's not. But for me, for me, it's around thirty, thirty-five a week. Um, and, until I get to that, it's it's still some discipline. As soon as I get there, every run, it just feels. After I get warmed up, it's it's joyful. It's it's fun. It's relaxed. It's it's that tireless state. Uh, no, and, I know exactly what you mean, and I th- with cycling, it's it's very similar. Like it's a struggle, and then there's a, a switch, and you know there's random metrics and stuff. But and I, I don't know exactly where it is, but there's definitely, you know, once you it becomes routinized and you've put in enough volume, you know, you can go hard and you can bury yourself and put in more load. But you know, you're you're a pretty good cyclist, and you can go pretty quick, and then like you say, enjoy. So that makes sense. For I've, sure. I've not gotten yeah. there yet with cycling. I don't know if a lot of people do, <laughs> but it's definitely a struggle. I think a lot of people have is getting out, you know, frequently enough, um, right? Consistently, enough. right? And it seems with cycling, you need even more volume. Yeah, that's my biggest limiter with that. Yeah, that's that's probably true. Yeah, that's what people always say. Because I can get out for six runs for an hour a day, six days a week, without 
any issue, but to try to get in the volume that it would take to become a decent cyclist has always been a little bit too much for me. Yeah, you're probably yeah. a bit more, for sure. Um, all right. Yeah. What's well, interesting, too, about the consistency, and, mm-hmm. and I looked some, some new research um, out of Australia it talks about, you know, this overtraining that is a, is a misnomer, that we need to get away from that term because people hear it and think you do a lot, you're, you're putting yourself at risk for injury. It's, it's the ramping up that causes injury that, rather than the, the consistent high volume. And that's why I think these people who, who've done it, you know, for 40, 50 years and have been doing 60, 70 miles a week, that they're, they're strong and they're, they're less likely to get injured than the person who's ramping up quickly from 25 to 45 or, mm-hmm. or 50. It's actually really interesting you said that. I was just talking to a doctor for a different article I was working on, and he started talking to me about how overtraining could actually happen when you're, like, training only a couple hours a week. If if that's, you know, two hours more than you've ever trained in your life, and you're going, exactly. you know, as hard as you possibly can, yeah, you, you might actually find yourself overtrained you know, if you're stressed and you're not sleeping and then you're going, you know, pretty hard on the run, even though, you know, the guy next to you is running seven days a week and not having any problems. So overtraining just means so many different things. Right. It's the spike in training, not the, not the, the volume of training. That exactly. Yeah. yeah. Is there, is there a way, you know, in the book, your, your, your other book, the, your best stride probably covers this maybe more, but is there a way, you know, if someone, we got 30 something, 40 something who's trying to, you know, thinks running is going to be their thing. It's going to be more, you know, sustainable or manageable with a busy lifestyle and family and travel and stuff. How do you get to that? You know, even that five days of 25 miles a week, (laughs) five days of 25 miles. Yikes. 25 miles a week. Total, yes. Total. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's a, it's a matter of, and this is a, this sort of the barrier to entry, I guess, is of, of slowly, you know, you have to take the time. You have to, you have to say, it's going to take me six months to mm-hmm. get there. And, and, uh, and, and which then, and, and then also paying attention to your body um, and, and, you know, ramping up. I, one thing I'm, I don't know if I touched on it in the book, but I've been thinking about and, and working on an article about is I think that we need to think about increasing volume in the in, in same way we do training, sort of the hard, easy, more. Uh, that, that people sort of say, okay, I want to get to you know, 30 miles a week. The, the 10% rule, they just, you know, just climb straight up the mountain. Think of it as switchbacks, you know, to, to increase some, pay attention to when you're recovered, you know, keep that level for a bit, then go up again, and, and just keeping your, keep working your way up as your body allows you to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I that like makes that. sense. The, the maybe companion rule you talk about is, uh, or, or is mentioned in the book. One of the one of the runners uses is, is the rule of three. So, along that switchbacky journey to twenty five miles a week, um, if you're noticing a niggle, you know the Achilles tendon, the knee pain, then the, this person suggested they take three days off and then they slowly build back to that that previous sort of level. So they maybe do like a a one right. mile run and then slowly build over a matter of days. So it might be a week to get back, you know, to that, that switch back you were on. Yep. Yep. And then you, you got to be consistent to not, to, to make sure it builds, you build back. <laughs> That's the three days and turn into five days and mm-hmm. too, too often. Yeah. Right. Right. You don't want to back off too much and, and miss everything. Yeah. 
Um, so as you were going through and talking to all of these people, um, I've, I wrote an article a few months ago called uh, The Rise of Duh Science, where I kind of talked about how a lot of the stuff that we're now kind of coming back to is really obvious stuff like taking recovery days or eating more vegetables, really obvious stuff. So what was the biggest, like, duh thing that you found uh, that every runner was kind of saying? Ah, uh, interesting. Um, probably related to this rule of three is, is, is they need to take days off that people, right, and, mm-hmm. and, and take seasons off. I mean, it, we, we seem to, it, people seem to be divided into those who are consistent or those who are, have, you know, variety. And, and the, the people who are, have survived through the years have both. And, and that sort of, it's, duh. <laughs> you have to you have to do it regularly, but regularly, you know, consistency doesn't mean constancy. It doesn't mean you're going to do you know six miles a day every day, or, or that you're going to you know, you're going to go hard every day, and you're not going and you're going to take days off, and you're going to maybe take you know take seasons off, and you know, see the see your life in terms of that, in terms of cycles. Um, yeah, I think the, the four seasons for seasons are a good model for us. I'm looking out the window right now. You know, the trees don't have leaves. There's snow on the ground. There's no grass. Yeah, it doesn't mean it's dead. It's it's dormant. <laughs> we need that. I mean, that's sort of a duh thing. But but I, but we don't we we don't think that way. We, we we think that you know sort of we're only as good as our last run in some ways. You know what what our Strava feed says. Yeah, totally. And if someone else is doing something on Strava, we need to be doing that on Strava as well. Obviously. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't want anybody to see that we only did two miles at nine-minute pace today. <laughs> That's embarrassing. <laughs> I actually really exactly. like that, like posting really slow runs. And then no one knows, like, you're running through, you know, knee-deep snow or something. But... You notice that Peter had to clarify that. Right. He was like, oh, I like posting really slow runs. You know, when I'm running in really deep snow, obviously. <laughs> it's, it's not that I personally would ever do a slow... <laughs> no, I, I just like never posting fast stuff. Because it boggles people's minds then. Then you can like sneak attack them. Exactly. Sandbag. It's a really, yeah. yeah, it's a classic sandbag move in the, like uh, in, in 2017. 2018. Classic, classic Strava move. I like it. Okay. <laughs> Jonathan. Related to the, the variety, though, is <laughs> also, and maybe this isn't a duh thing, but something I begin to think about more and more is that it ties to all the other, you know, that when we talk about the hunger and the love and the hope and all these things that, that I get to, is that, that these runners love every aspect of it. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, to, to, Again, the, the people who tend to be the ones who are uh, are too consistent also tend to not not appreciate it and enjoy it. Uh, they, they, you know, if they're, they're doing speed workout, it's because it's Tuesday and it's because it's on the schedule and because I need to have this, you know, six weeks out from my race. Not because it's fun to run fast. Um, <laughs> it was surprising how many people just say, you know, I I like to go fast sometimes, um, and and that's not part of the running life. Um, it really changes your your whole picture of what training is. Mm-hmm. I think it, it, it and and it makes it both more enjoyable and more sustainable. So then, it seemed like another big component is uh, you know of thriving and, and continuing on is, is adjusting sort of your your mindset or, or more specifically your goals. Sort of, 
um, you know, the reason you're running maybe hasn't changed. Maybe you still want to go fast, but I, I think a lot of people drop out because they can't be, you know, the champ. They can't win the race. They can't, you know, set that new marathon personal best. Right there, you know, right. th- things aren't moving. So I think you phrase it. I'm trying to think like you're when you're younger. The the goals are expanding, and then maybe when they're as you start aging, things start closing in or i don't know if it's quite that dire but right. it was much more <laughs> eloquent when you wrote it but um, yeah. can, can you speak a bit to the goals and how you know we we're, we would adapt to this i think a lot of a lot of people i deal with in the master's age group struggle with this this sort of you know oh when i was 20 you know i want to get back to you know when i was 20 or something and you know that might just not be the the best way to look at it i mean i'd love to get back to the weight i was when i was 12 but you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> this is this is huge, and, it, and it's much harder than it seems like it should be. Um, uh, but the people who have told me they appreciated the book the most are are those who are you know at that point where they realize they're never going to be as fast again. Um, that we do we do really tie ourselves to that um, entire identities to that. I think, um, and and that's that's why I think it's it's much harder than it should be. Is that we start to think that. Yeah, you know, we're not who we are, or we're not, you know, worthy if if we can't hit a certain time, or if we can't place in, you know, a certain percentage in a field. Um, that that there's an emotional attachment to that, and and our reaction. Then you know, we, like I said, you go out for a run, and you and you feel uncomfortable, and you look at the split, and it's a minute and a half slower than it used to be at that effort. The first initial reaction is that's oh that sucks <laughs> that's disgusting that you know it's not worth doing if I can't do it at the level that I've been doing. Um, to, to what was interesting to hear that the people who survived don't necessarily they had those reactions, um, mm-hmm. but learned to get learned to get around them, learned to deal with them, you know, to have some distance you know, by realizing one that it was arbitrary to start with. You know, everybody. Everybody sort of, you know, my best was a 246 marathon. That sucks if you're an elite athlete. But, yeah, yeah, I was very proud of it and proud of where that put me in the field. And, um, yeah, and so if that's, you know, to to get around saying, okay, that that was to to change it from, I guess, the absolute to doing the best, being as fit as you can, doing the best you can with the parameters you have now. It's always about the parameters you have now. But but those of us who were somewhat fast forgot that, you know, that it, that it wasn't what we brought to it. You know. So now it is, you know, how 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 fast can I get as a fifty three year old, you know, with with the job I have and, and kids and coaching and all the, all these parameters. Okay. Still I, I still take joy in getting doing the best I can in the in that context. And, and so the age group um, it is an obvious one. You know, you, st- you start looking at winning age group. Um, and, and some yeah. people are hesitant to do that. But I, I, you put it, I think that, you know, at some point people get to that stage where they start accepting age group results. <laughs> yeah, and I think they're hesitant because those are the people who are at the front always thought the age group was sort of a secondary, you know, sort of settling, you know, and, and perhaps the, the, the age group, people who w- win age groups take too much pride in it. <laughs> think, they, think they're hot stuff, you know. I mean, when they they're not as good as the ones up front. Uh, I, I do think that age is is tremendously humbling, though, mm-hmm. to 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 realize it because we do attach we attach a value, you know, to a certain time. 
and and then to realize that that's the best you can do that is your best time and it takes as much training and as much effort to hit that time you realize sort of how arrogant you were perhaps when you were younger and faster yeah now do you ever tell people i mean in your coaching and in your writing have you ever recommended just taking some time off of racing to kind of get over that attachment because i know for me i had to kind of step back like from racing entirely when i realized i was not going to go pro anytime in the near future and i couldn't handle the idea of racing really really poorly uh-huh I do. Um, in fact, in, in the book, I talked about that at one point because there are a, a couple of people I interviewed that have kind of just gone away from racing, um, but still, still, still train hard and run hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and a race, a race might be you know, um, just running up a mountain as hard as they can, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and, and feeling that same burn and sa- that same effort, but but not having to tie it to the numbers and com- and comparing with other people. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I don't know if you're seeing it in running as much, and and you maybe know even just from magazine and and a bit of your coaching and stuff too. But it seems like in cycling, and maybe Strava is part of this too. But we're seeing, I think, at least in my coaching business, a lot more people who are, you know, they want the health component of it. So you know, there's some health coaching, I guess, with that. But then there's a lot of people who are they maybe have a couple events, some Grand Fondos, or you know, a, maybe a, a stage race or a tour or something. But they're much like you say, you know, they want to go out on a group ride and you know beat their friends maybe or they want to go get that strava segment or whatever and so it's it's odd it's almost a a change a little bit away from the official you know races i don't know if you're seeing that in running as much or not i think somewhat probably not quite as much as in cycling um because i think there's still a lot of different racing aspects um and and the people i interviewed and perhaps it was just the cohort that i interviewed but most of them do still really enjoy racing the context of racing you know just the the, the effort of head-to-head against somebody whoever that is and and people you know it, it does bring out the best in you and and get you to that the point there's there's nothing quite like the feeling of you know redlining it in, in a race and it's hard to do that inside outside of that context yeah it's odd it did seem like a lot of your your cohort as you put it were sort of still very involved in in racing at some level um, versus, you know, going off and doing, you know, big adventure runs or fastest known times or, you know, things like this. Yeah, and, and again, that might depend the people I interviewed. I know that there are a lot of trail runners who, who do more fastest known times than, than, than actual races. Right, right. And that's, you know, now technology is making that, it's, I guess, the, the lines between Strava and fastest known times and races are, are blurring a little. Um but yeah, I think that's the the changing of disciplines seemed like another sort of way to adjust goals and maybe sidestep any direct comparison to your best marathon time is maybe doing you know track or doing trail Cross running, country yeah. trail running, yeah, yeah. I think that's big. Uh, and then you know some, it, and there's no shame in this. We some of them I interviewed at the beginning of those who, who don't run competitively anymore have gone all the way to like rowing. Yeah, where mm-hmm. there's no, there's no chance of comparison, but you you still you still get out there and and get the same feeling of working hard and and getting better. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. The, the, and then the other one that I, I had never heard of, but the age graded results. Can you tell us a bit about that? I think you know some people might really really like that this concept of age graded results and sort of that website. I don't know if there's an actual website you can link. I can probably find it too. Yeah. 
you can find several calculators um, that that there. I mean, the original, it's it's a couple decades old. Um, in fact, I wrote my first article about it when I was still in my 30s. I remember uh, saying, I hope a decade from now it'll be really widespread as far as results. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll take benefit from it then. Um, and it still isn't that often, because it is contrived in a way. I mean, but I mean, they've got a, a lot of really good data where they basically compare um, across the board how people age, and then you, know, you, you plug in your time and your age, and it'll give you either a percentage of the world record or a converted time sort of to an open athlete. So um, I use this all the time. Uh, I, I ran an annual 4th of July 5K here, and you know, every year I'm, I'm somewhere between 10 to 30 seconds slower, um, but you plug it into the, to the age-graded calculator, and you can see how close you are to your, to your all-time PR. Um, in a few years, I've been faster, which would say, okay, again, according to this data gathered over the last three decades, how people age, I'm I'm getting better, even though I'm three minutes slower than I was when I was 26. Yeah. Oh, I love that. It's like grading on a curve, kind of. Exactly. So yeah, it's really it's 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 a it's a useful way of again just staying to, to comparing and 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 staying. It's one way you can stay in touch with the numbers, you know, that that you got attached to. Well, <laughs> it's, it's it's interesting. But, what I like about it is that, like, I mean it's dire i guess we all have to come to terms with death and and aging but but at a certain point it's a fact right like you were only as good as you as you were and so at a certain point that's the best you're gonna do so you can compare it to yourself but then also there's there's an age you know humans you know and and we're always pushing the limits of human capacity but there's a certain element there where this is just the best so it moves or adjusts the goalposts a little bit so that you're not just beating your head against the wall and, and thinking you should be doing world record marathon pace at 50 years old, right? Like no one's, no one's doing right. that. Right. Yeah. And, and it's, it's very comforting with the help. <laughs> One of the first articles ever written on it, Joe Henderson wrote that the most comforting book ever written was a little pamphlet put out that showed age grading times <laughs> because it, it says, okay, I'm not that bad off, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm this, slow but yeah I, I, the best i ever did was about 80 percent of the world record and and so now if i run you know a 78 80 percent run at my age i'm as good as i ever was regardless of what the absolute time was mm-hmm. i really like that yeah so there's a bunch more things in there we'll leave a little bit as, as teasers for setting goals and stuff but um I think maybe the consistency chapter I really liked, but the goal setting one was really neat. Like just a couple tactics on, you know, that global concept of setting goals, staying motivated, like why finding your why. So I think that's the, the, the book paid for itself or it's paid for its price or was found its value. Paid for itself. You're good Paid for itself. Perfect. Actually, what I wanted to ask about is what made you decide to, instead of doing, I mean, you could have done a whole book on the physiological stuff, right? You could have added a bunch of chapters on like injury prevention or stretching or like do these 10 workouts. But instead you actually chose to focus like the lion's share of the book on the psychological principles. And I thought that was really cool. Um, can you speak about what made you decide to do it that way? Primarily because that's what people wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I started out with with the interviews, and I, and I tried to make the whole book not. I didn't. I you know, tried to bring a journalist or a scientist perspective to it. Of talk to 
as many people as possible, um, and and I didn't ask for their their keys. I asked them to work through their lives. You know, tell me when you started. Tell me when you fell in love. Tell me, yeah, how, how did you mm-hmm. get through the transition from school to running on your own? How did you get through the transition from you know to masters? Um, and and that's where the principles came from. But the majority of people want it. It was very clear from these people who have made it through that the psychological is far more important than the physical. That the the, the physical patterns differ with each person, with each situation, but but the the universal truths are: How do you deal with this? How how do you adapt? How do you you know deal with the emotional difficulty of of knowing each run tells you you're about you're heading to death, as, as you said, Peter. <laughs> I mean, it, it is it is huge, um, um, and then and then hearing just hearing again and again how much people love running, love every aspect of it, both you know, from from the the daily runs to the all out you know, neck and neck sprints to the finish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's actually the yeah the last chapter in there is about love, and the one before that I really liked is about hope and the power of optimism. Can you talk a little bit about? kind of how that that chapter came to be and the kind of key points there i can and it's interesting you picked that out because it wasn't it wasn't one of the first points when i after i did the initial research and uh, and sent in the proposal it was eight keys um the, the ninth key came that as i was finishing up the interviews is that i just kept coming across these people who who had had things that you think would would derail their running you know they 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 had diabetes. They had a hip replacement. They had you know, heart valves. You know, all these things. Mm-hmm. That, like, why would you continue to run and compete after this? Um, and and I felt like that needed to be addressed somehow. But but most of us don't have those types of things. I mean, it, it was it. I wasn't sure it was relative. You know, generalizable to the whole audience. Um, and I was up in Maine a year ago in December, eating supper with one of my former classmates actually two of them are classmates they're both cross country runners now they're married and and both teach and coach at at my home school it was very cool um but the the guy chris jones he said um well i can't run under 60 you know for the tour de lock it's a hilly 10 miler that that he directs because i don't train enough yeah, that if I if I trained as much as my buddy, that I could still do it, even though I'm 53. Now, you know, and I realized that that perspective was the same perspective as if you, you know, if you had, you know, if you had a hip replacement. That all of these runners have hope that they believe that if you train harder, that you can get better. Um, mm-hmm. And that that has maintained. You know, so no matter what happened, no matter how, you know, how, what life throws at you, they believe that from you know right now I can get better. Of course, you know, better is relative. It's not, it's not at one point that's the expanding sort of and contracting. At one point, better was always was absolutely better. You can get faster than you ever were before. But but there's still a feeling that you know from today till you know I'm thinking of a April marathon, I can train and get better, and and that hope, um, I, I think is is characteristic of everybody and and absolutely necessary. Without that hope. There's no way you can keep going, <laughs> and there's no joy in it. I mean, mm-hmm. you keep going, but but then it just becomes okay. I'm just just holding off the inevitably climb. No, these people believe they can still get better. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, it's hard to it's hard to love something when you are just kind of on the side of pessimism and you're figuring every run is just getting a little bit worse and you're never going to be right. able to do something. So it does sort of lead right. into so, that. So having having you know sort of centered in on this idea of hope, I did some research and 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 went to the, um, Seligman's book on learned optimism, um, and he has a very specific keys, you know, and sort of strategies of applying optimism. He sees optimism as something you can use. It's not, we think of optimism as, as the personality trait. <laughs> but, so, no, it's, it's a psychological strategy to say, okay, you can, an optimistic perspective is, you know, arguing with, with, the, the, with the things that make you feel like, the pessimist says, okay, I ran as hard as I could, and, and that's my time okay, I'm just old. Leave the weapon, I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the optimist says, okay, no, well, why did I run this time? Well, I haven't been doing, you know, my quarter mile intervals. Or, you know, it's early in the season or it was a hot day or it's, all, you know, all the things that, that you can argue with it and say, okay, what could I do to get better? Mm-hmm. And, and there's still, you know, hope that you can get better. Not just okay. That's it. I'm done. Everything is everything's over now. <laughs> yes, and almost on that same note, in the beginning of the the first chapter in the psychological section is a uh, is about humility, and I loved that two of the points you made were the danger of winning and the danger of talent, because that's something we actually see with people younger than us. Right? Like a lot of, I mean, 22-year-olds, 25-year-olds are dropping out of sport because they maybe had talent when they were juniors, but like didn't get the big elite contract that they thought. Or they won in like the 15-16 field, but, you know, aren't winning in U23s and can't stand not winning. Uh, so I thought it was really interesting that you still had that in for a book that's you know, generally has people that are significantly older than that in <laughs> Yeah, and I think all of them had it because you don't get to that. You don't run for forty, fifty years without this. That mm-hmm. the the realization that it's all it's a, all a, a process. A prog- yeah, you work in you're a work in progress. Um, Dina Castor is interesting in this. Is that she seems to you know based on what she told me is that until she got out of college, she still was sort of this fixed mentality that I I won because I was talented. Um, mm-hmm. And if I didn't win, it was I wasn't talented enough. Um, and then, and then that's when she met Joe Vigil, and and he convinced her the idea that no, you, that, that you could get better, you can always get better. And that's the, yeah, the, the humility and the hunger come together is realizing that you can get better. There are there are other people better. I can get better. It's, and and a, a race isn't a test of my talent. It's just a, an indication of where I am in the process. Mm-hmm. So you have. Yeah, have a bad race it's not that you you weren't good enough it was again so what, what can you do to get better okay here's a here's a mark here's it's it's, it's not a judgment it's just it's just data mm-hmm. so you've interviewed i mean you interviewed a ton of big name runners in here i have to ask who was the most interesting to interview <laughs> that is so hard uh, with over 50 people um i'd say uh, Dina was the most eloquent by far. She she just as you can see throughout it, there are quotes. You know, you just pull out a quote you could put on a on a poster mm-hmm. <laughs> every five minutes. Um, Jumpin' Ice Samuelson is is just 
she, she's reticent main yeah you, you have to get her talking and then and then pretty soon she, she's fine and interesting yeah um, calling direct calling direct is you know this great south african accent and and perspective of you know, having grown up in the bush and just running loving to run um, but then a lot of the a lot of the people who were not big mains were also um, fascinating in and how good they are, how consistent they are, and and their perspective. You mm-hmm. know, uh, runners are are just uh, are are pretty great people, um, and and they're they're interesting. Yeah, they have an interesting view on life, regardless of whether you're talking about their training or not, or or how well they you know how well they did. I mean, this guy named John Murth is a college professor and and very very consistent throughout his throughout his life, and and very self reflective on that. When he talks about training by feel, it's about just uh, what's great about it is he can do a fart like workout and it feels everything is exactly the same as it was, you know, 30 years ago, mm-hmm. except speed. But but he doesn't, he doesn't pay attention to speed. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, the, dis- the, the time he's running, the effort he's running, the whole workout is exactly the same. And, and that's that's pretty cool. And that's, that's important to, to get your mind around to say that it, you don't have to then measure it and, and then lament that it's three minutes slower than it used to be. Yeah, for sure. There was also, I remember, uh, I read a section about, I think it was, a, I want to say 55 year old or something from uh, Oregon and works a normal like job, I think a lawyer or something and puts in like 70 mile weeks, something crazy like that. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, yeah. like that's consistency. And then I wanted yeah. to go out and do a really long run, but we have like three feet of snow right now. So luckily I didn't go out and hurt myself. So, <laughs> uh, And then boy. you got Dave Dunham, who's a, he's a trail runner. He, he's running the world mountain championships before, but he, he's a, he works for the IRS and he's got, He's got, you know, he sent me these spreadsheets that have every, basically every mile, every race, everything, you know, this whole life. <laughs> but it's a very self-deprecating and, uh, and just, just great people. I love that. That's so IRS. Of course you'd have a spreadsheet for it. <laughs> yep. Um, and then you and I talked about this, I mean, before we started the official podcast, but this book kind of reminds me of um, Dan John uh, writes a bunch about strength and conditioning where it kind of goes to life. So he has one book that's called Now What? And it's about what to do once you've kind of hit your kind of physical goals, but you could read it for business or you could read it for life. And I think this book is very similar like that. So, yeah, what did you figure out about life from writing this book? It's so hard to put it into words. That's, that's what I felt like. Even when I, you know, when I got to the end, in mm-hmm. my, my last chapter here, sort of what, why, why run for life? You know, why is it valuable to be a competitor? It, 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 is it better just to give it up than <laughs> to try to make to make all these adaptations? And I think the the, the key thing is this this circle of trying to be your best, and and that's really what it all comes down to. And I think perhaps we get distracted by that with. You know, with success and with the, the absolute measures, that mm-hmm. we begin to think that that's the goal, and that distorts it all. Even for people who aren't winning, but people, you know, if, if your goal is to run under a four-hour marathon, and that's all it is, then you start to think that all the long runs are just to get that. And if you don't get that, then they were worthwhile. But 
to to change it around to realize that it's about being your best and and any measures of success are just a way of celebrating that and marking that is it is life transforming cause, mm-hmm. um, which which yeah you know, with these with these points at at one point I thought they were really consecutive and and then by the time I got done writing the book I I tried to do a diagram of it and it got so convoluted of sort of circling back on itself <laughs> there's no way I could do it but you know when you think of like consistency is is the the center there to to get to the point where you can love it and where you can you know be healthy enough to keep going and and maybe training by feel is the center but you can't do that until you have the have the love and the hunger and you know so so those everything is sort of prerequisite for it's for the other <laughs> in order mm-hmm. to but it but it but it all comes together down to the you know, the, the the joy and the love at the end. That 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 sounds touchy feely and, and those who are, you know, working hard to be their best would say, you know, it's not about that, it's about the discipline of, of you know, and, and working hard to win. In the end it's not. Yeah. <laughs> the working hard to win. The the only reason you work hard to win is so that you can enjoy it and be the best you can be and to be you know, the yeah, the, the actualized person that you can be. Yeah, I mean, if you're working that hard, and when you finish, you're absolutely miserable, and there's no joy in it, then you wouldn't stick with it. You wouldn't do it. Or right. if you do, why are you doing it? You should probably not do that. That seems awful. Yeah, <laughs> and and the, the best athletes, the ones that are you know on the podium at the Olympics, I think are the ones. Uh, they too have this. They understand the love. Mm-hmm. They understand the, the 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 joy of of being that person. I mean, obviously gifted to start with, but then they they have developed it and, and appreciate it. And I find that pretty pretty regularly. I mean, it, it, the people want to interview them and say, "How much did you give up? You know, and how hard is your life to get here?" I, I think that's the wrong question. I think most of them would do it mm-hmm. without you know without the podium there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, mo- yeah, most people that are consistently on the podium probably don't really feel like they had to give up anything. Or even if they did have to technically give up something, it doesn't feel like they missed out on stuff. Right, right. So that's why somebody like Joan can be, you know, still still excited about she's going to try to run sub three at 60. You know, oh, even though you know, she could have easily... Yeah, you know, she's done everything <laughs> with the Olympic gold and world records, and mm-hmm. yeah. But but that wasn't that wasn't what it was about. It was about how you know doing her long runs on on her her routes around Freeport, Maine. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what she loves. I love that. Um, and then I guess the last question is: I mean, for someone who isn't a consistent runner, for someone who is maybe just coming into it, how do they get started in this? How do they find the love? How do they become consistent are there any is there a secret sauce is there anything <laughs> oh um shut up and run <laughs> <laughs> and it's not shutting up yourself it's shutting up all the voices that tell you you're not good enough that you're not running hard enough that you're not you're not a real runner or whatever else yeah that just get out there um yeah, you know, that you're not going, you're not going far enough. I think that's a very common, you know, sort of 
whatever level you are. I love the the quote Craig Christens from Omaha said, you know, it's never a bad idea to do a 30-minute run. Just just get out the door, do it, enjoy it, appreciate it. Don't be afraid. You feel good to sprint once once in a while. Don't Mm -hmm. be afraid to just slog along once in a while. Let let your body tell you how, but yeah, and and you have to have the discipline, I think, is just getting yourself out the door. I think most people once they once they do that, and and they're not you know, letting somebody else push them either either physically you know beside them or in their mind that mm-hmm. they will they will enjoy it they will love it. Mm-hmm. I think you're absolutely right. I remember reading. I mean, gosh, when I was like ten, a book on how to start like or a magazine article on how to start working out. I think it was in like Women's Day magazine or something, and it was about it was pretty much about getting out the door, and it was this woman like kind of reverse psychologying herself where she's like okay I don't have to I don't have to actually work out I just have to like walk out of the house and then when she's out of the house she's like well I might as well just drive to the gym and then it's I don't have to get out of my car I just need to get to the gym and then it's okay well I'm just gonna like put on my gym clothes I don't actually have to work out and then you know obviously at the end she's working out and I think it's running it's sort of similar we just have to kind of trick ourselves into getting out and getting started and once you do that often enough it starts actually getting to be fun again Right. Yeah. And then build the habit. You know, yeah. Make it, make it consistent enough that it's not, a, it's, not a, it's not a question every day. Am I going to do this? It's sort of, when am I going to do it? Mm-hmm. But, but, but don't put pressure on it. I think a lot of people that I interviewed that quit, it, it was this sort of this level. If it's not worth, if, 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 if I'm not going to do 10 miles, it's not worth doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that is a death knell to you writing yeah. eventually. Just whatever you do is worth it, mm-hmm. and then if you do more, then that's a bonus rather than rather than the other way around that you failed at it because you didn't do enough or you didn't go hard enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. All right, where can people find you and this book on the interwebs? Uh, the the book is available, you know, sort of wherever books are sold is the, is the phrase. <laughs> and, you know, it's on Amazon. It's on. It's a Velo Press book, and you can order it directly from fellow press um jonathan beverly.com is my website I've got links to to a lot of my writing over the last 20 years um and i do have a page for the book there and i'm uh twitter is jbevron which is from uh, one, one of the, the high school kids i coached started calling me jbev so that's that's my yes. handle at my local town now very good Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking another afternoon to chat with us. It's always great talking to you. Great talking with you and great insights. I'm glad you enjoyed the book and and best of luck with your winter winter training there in the Northeast. Oh, thank you. We need it. All right. We will keep you posted on the episode. Thanks again. And yeah, chat with you soon. Hey guys, before you go, we just wanted to have one quick word from our sponsor, Health IQ. Health IQ is a life insurance company that helps the consummate athlete like you save money on your life insurance. To find out more, you can check out healthiq.com slash CAPOD, that's C-A-P-O-D, for all the details and to take a free quiz. 
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Consummate Athlete Podcast. To check out all of the show notes for this show, go to consummateathlete.com. And to follow along with our various adventures on the social medias, you can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash consummateathlete or follow me, Molly Herford, at Molly J. Herford on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm at Peter Glassford on Twitter and Instagram. And if you could do us a huge favor and rate and review the podcast over on iTunes, that helps us bring on more guests, you know, get more episodes out and do more cool stuff. So we would be forever grateful. And if you're looking for coaching for endurance sport or just for health and wellness, uh, you can check out smartathlete.ca. And for amazing outdoor content, you can check out theoutdooredit.com. Aw, honey. And that's theoutdooredit.com for Molly Herford's writing and all things outdoors. All right. Thank you so much for listening, guys, and we'll see you next time.